All right, you let me know whenever you're ready. Let's go, because uh, I'm just over here getting my life together <laughs> at a very slow rate, so just go. <laughs> Listen, I am a hot mess over here. <laughs> And I don't mean hot mess in a drinking a glass of red yeah. wine, Struggling. you know, live, laugh, love yeah. type of hot mess. I'm talking about I am hot <laughs> and I am a mess. <laughs> it is it is in the upper 80s and I just oh got done goodness. moving all that stuff yeah. and I am drowning over here. I'm, so if you get any offensive odors waft your way, please I, forgive me. No, it's not you. It's how hard you're working. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Okay. Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I am Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, share with your friends, follow us online, or better yet, organize a Biden boat parade at the lake. You see, there's a certain segment of our community that believes the more boats with flags you got, the better a president you'll be. <laughs> you can always drop us a note at blackwhiteblueinthesouth at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our brand new Facebook page and leave us a message. Links to everything, including to articles and videos mentioned in today's episode, are found in the show notes, so take a look. Knowledge is power, and we aim to pump your brain. Yes, we do. Hey, Jamel. Hi, Bill. Happy episode, lucky number seven. Yay, seven. This is the one where we are going to win all them podcasty awards. (laughs) I think so. We're bringing it. On behalf of Jamel and I, I want to say that we appreciate you for listening and boy, do we get off on all the reviews y'all yeah, been leaving. we appreciate it. I did not expect any, to be quite honest, but we've gotten a few, and that really motivates me to continue this project. Yeah, it does. Can I read some to you? Please. All right, here are some reviews that have come in. Headline, easy on the ears. Yay. I have no particular connection to South Carolina politics, but I really enjoy listening to Jamel and Bill. They have an excellent and engaging rapport and are well-versed in their topics. Bravo. Yay. Notice, this reviewer did not say easy on the eyes. (laughs) That's why we're doing a podcast, (laughs) not a TV show. We're easy. (laughs) On the (laughs) eyes. On the eyes. (laughs) The next reviewer said, accurate and transparency. Love the accuracy of the information discussed and the vulnerability presented by the hosts. Obviously. She's referring to me, the accurate one, and you, Uh, the vulnerable one. That is not true. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for those reviews. Keep them coming. Put them into your podcast app. Somehow they find their way to us. Yes, we appreciate you. Now, we just wrapped up this morning, gosh, just over an hour ago, our monthly Democratic breakfast meeting here in Greenwood. We had, I counted, about 80 people in attendance. Awesome. Yeah, and here are some interesting takeaways. First of all, you had a chance to interview two local councilwomen. I did. County councilwoman. Teresa Griffin and Johanna Bishop. So I think that went well. This was a, I want to say, an informal interview where we asked them a couple of questions. Um, 
they really had no time to prep. So what you see is their true belief or stance on a particular topic. And I felt like both of them did well with uh, demonstrating their passion for the areas that they serve in. Both were certainly well-versed on their subjects and were hit with some tough questions. They were. Questions like crime in Greenwood. Uh, questions like, what do you think the health and the wealth of the city and the county of Greenwood looks like? Um, those were all questions that can be tough to answer at times. They also got questions like, where's my Chipotle? Yeah. You know, the hard-hitting <laughs> where's questions. Where's Chipotle? I was ready for that. I, I like Johanna's style, too, because you would ask a question, and then she would go silent for about 20 let me, seconds. Let me tell you something. I've been an educator for a long time. We, as a people, have got to understand there is power in the pause. Don't always feel like that as soon as the question is dropped, you got to spit an answer out. I like it when there's power in that pause because you're slowing down to make sure that you've gathered your thoughts and then you shoot it out. I tell my dogs that too. Oh my God, they're not there's pausing. There's power in their pause. <laughs> not their pause. <laughs> oh, oh, maybe I misheard. I'll have to go back and listen. So we're going to have videos of those Q&As available on the Democratic Party uh, YouTube channel for okay. the Greenwood County Democratic Party. Uh, that'll be up this week, so be on the lookout for that. We also heard from Josh Malkin wow. from the ACLU South Carolina. Thank you, Josh. That was so refreshing. I love the passion as well as the knowledge that he's able to bring and just be an advocate for the power of choice, which seems to be something that everyone is trying to rip away. It was really impressive how he was hitting all of the same points that you and I hit on our very last episode. Listen, dude, that's great, mind, great minds think alike. But what, literally what it does is it shows that that is a tremendous issue and that we notice people who are in the community, we notice the trend. I think the most interesting thing I took away from Josh's speech was what happened in Beaufort, where there was a huge effort underway to ban books at the, the libraries, at the schools. And it was the students who stood up for their own right to education, oh, their yeah. own right for a freedom of, of reading um, yeah. and anti-censorship. And they attended all the school board meetings. They read the books that were on the ban list. They spoke on their own behalf. I love that. And there was power in their voice, and they were able to bat away I love that. the intrusion of Moms for Liberty in their community. And I thought that was wonderful. You know, we tend to overlook uh, the power associated with our adolescent population. Uh, this is a group of people who are emerging during a time where diversity is at its forefront. So to hear them stand and speak for themselves is always rewarding. And then one final announcement, Jamel and I will be recording next weekend on Sunday at the Oconee County Democratic Party fundraiser. They've got a big dinner event happening Lakeside. Yeah. And we have been invited to be part of their main event, which has actually got me panicking a bit. It's no, one no. thing when it's just you and I. No, no, we got it. In a room, but to be in front of everybody watching us. I know. We'll just have to behave a little bit. Our main topic for today is redistricting. But first, the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. The University of South Carolina no longer has an Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Jamel, you're already falling out of your chair. I'm sorry. Resuscitation <laughs> is needed. In an email sent out to the campus last week, 
USC announced that Julian Williams, once the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, is now the Vice President for Access, Civil Rights, and Community Engagement. So they basically kept the same players, they just changed the name. Why? Because there is a group of House Republicans. Have you heard of the South Carolina Freedom Caucus? Gosh, they keep showing up. They want everything to do with removing your freedom, which is so ironic. They have been attacking our state schools and the public school system about anything involving DEI. Now, one of the largest schools of higher education in South Carolina has removed those words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and changed it to something else. It's important to note that nobody's lost their job. There's just been a shuffling of roles and responsibilities, plus the name change. But one of the main drivers of this was a guy named R.J. May. He is a state house representative from Lexington. And in fact, we heard a little bit from him in last episode when I played you video clips of parents and legislators speaking out against the Todd Nahisi Coates book in the school district. He was one of the speakers. He sure was. So I played only a very short clip last time. Let's listen now to a longer clip where you can hear his full statement and the word salad he brings to the table. Mm. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Madam Chairman, members of the board. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you tonight. Um, A number of parents asked me to to be here to share my thoughts as it relates to the South Carolina Freedom Caucus uh, and our recent settlement agreement with Lexington School District 1. For those of you who don't know, I was a plaintiff in that case. Um, we were provided information where Lexington School District 1 was enabled by EL Education to teach critical race theory derived ideas, which is obviously uh, uh, illegal as it relates to the budget proviso and hopefully codified into permanent law through the Transparency and Education Bill. Uh, but on behalf of the South Carolina Freedom Caucus, I would like to thank the board members who take this issue seriously. Um, our Constitution serves equality under the law. Equality under the law is a deeply held American value. What critical race theory derived ideas does, diversity, equity, inclusion, it seeks to supplant that idea of equality under the law with equity under the law. Uh, the Supreme Court has held in our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence states that we should be a, a colorblind society, one that values uh, uh, merit uh, and success as opposed to one that views people as oppressor or oppressed because of the color of their skin. Um, What EL education, critical race theory derived ideas, critical race theorists, and those who subscribe to the uh, racist nonsense that is diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, they seek to get rid of our Constitution and our deeply held Declaration of Independence that says all men are created equal. Uh, So those board members who are um, taking this issue seriously, I thank you. uh, they also, those being the critical race theorists, believe in anti-racism. Anti-racism, of course, a uh, Kendi uh, definition would be that the only way to uh, make up for historical wrongdoings is present discrimination and future discrimination. Uh, legal discrimination in today's day and age. Of course, that would violate our Constitution. Uh, it would violate the idea of a uh, uh, colorless and colorblind society. So again, I thank those members of the board who are taking this issue seriously. Um, uh, We are currently still engaged in in legal avenues against Charleston School District, um, but uh, are happy to engage in more when we believe that that budget proviso has been violated. Uh, So any members of the board, if you are fighting uh, critical race theory derived ideas, diversity, equity, inclusion that seeks to separate and only look through the lens of race, 
Uh, if you are fighting that, you have an ally uh, in members of the Freedom Caucus, particularly J. Kill Martin, who represents a large uh, portion of this district, and I would encourage you to reach out. I've got 20 seconds left. I'm happy to take any questions. That would be appropriate, Madam Chairwoman. Thank you. Thank you. So you now just had a chance to hear him speak, and in this news article, he was quoted as saying the following, USC can call it whatever they want. It's just racist nonsense that they're indoctrinating our students with. I'm surprised they felt the need to rebrand given that the state legislator is full of moderate, milquetoast, do-nothing Republicans. And this is a Republican speaking about his fellow legislators. Oh, wow. So I'll pause there, Jamel, and get your reaction. Each time we try to create a distraction in which we will take words that are positive in nature and use them against the people that they were designed to protect shows a image of weakness to me. So in this particular case, to say that DEI is uh, discriminating or that it's racist, it lets me know that he is racist. It lets me know that he does not value the beliefs, culture, and value that come from the population that DEI is set to protect. For an organization as big as USC, an office of DEI is necessary. Changing the name will eventually lead to the role change, and all of that is going to be attached to funding somewhere down the line. How about being a leader and saying, no, you don't get to tell me what we call this office. You don't get to tell me to overlook a population that is pouring into the growth of this school. You don't get to tell me that. There is a really big problem when you have legislatures start to end up trying to go and undo everything that would have been positive. Now, DEI is not just about race. It's, it's also about differently abled students. Correct. It's about LGBTQ. It's about even veterans or adults who are coming back into an education after being years in the workforce. It is diversity, equity, and inclusion to make Correct. sure that all students walking into an unfamiliar environment can become a part and productive members of that student body. So let me point this out. This gentleman is willing to stop the services offered under DEI. Now we know that it's not just a race thing. We know that there are other individuals that benefit from these services, but it doesn't matter to him about the other individuals. Who is benefiting or who is perceived to be benefiting the most? Diversity and inclusion freaks them out for some reason. And I don't know how a group of people who cannot accept different continue to lead a state that is made up of a whole bunch of different people. There has been proposed legislation, by the way. It hasn't gone very far yet. It is H4290. It is called the DEI and Higher Education Act. They go on to make their own definition of DEI. And basically the point of this law is to forbid publicly funded schools from making DEI training a requirement from making it a requirement for employees or for students or anything of the sort. They want to make sure that nobody is forced to listen to what they call DEI nonsense. How can a company service a customer if it is not trained on how to receive and provide resources that are necessary? So I keep asking the same question. Why is it that we are undoing things that are not an epidemic or a pandemic? We're working on piddly issues that are nothing. You, you, here you have the book bans. Now you have people trying to go in and say anything 
anything that contains D and I in it. You can't have a word that might have CRT in it anywhere. All of those things are being forbidden. Pretty and, soon we're going to have an alphabet that's only 14 letters long well, because as long they as ban all the other letters. As long as it's got a letter that they recognize. So, Bill, our topic is going to be about impeachment. One where it says Trump urges Georgia GOP to impeach Fannie Willis for prosecuting him. Then there's another one where it talks about Wisconsin GOP lawmakers considering impeaching Janet Prochevich, I think is how you pronounce it. And then there's one where you have a Texas attorney general who is facing potential impeachment So let's take the Georgia situation where we're trying to impeach Fannie Willis. Trump is saying, no, you know, you guys have got to work to impeach her because she should not be trying to press charges against me. He took a real big stab at Governor Brian Kemp, which I was amazed that finally stood up and said, no, I'm not impeaching her. She is doing what she's allowed to do. Well, when it comes to Fannie Willis and other attorneys, district attorneys that have filed these indictments, they did not do so single-handedly. Every one of them gets reviewed by a grand jury. Yes. So a grand jury is made up of people like you and I pulled off the streets. They're sequestered. They have to be convinced and have a case brought to them. It's not a trial, but they have to have a case brought before them that says this is the law. This is what this individual did or didn't do and how it broke that law. And do you agree, grand jury, that charges should be filed? Biden's not doing it. The Department of Justice is not doing it. Fannie, beautiful Willis is not doing it. (laughs) People are doing it. And that's what I think the Republicans and the lawmakers and leaders who rally around Trump and all of his criminal activities fail to understand is that people like you and I are fed up with it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many boat rallies Trump has or how big his rallies and pickings are on a hot day. He committed crimes to an extent that grand juries said there is sufficient evidence that he broke the law and we recommend indictments be filed. Then the attorneys general has the uh, power whether to actually file charges or not. It's within their discretion. Correct. But they can't do it in the absence of that grand jury agreement. Yes, but the public doesn't know the grand jury. Well, in the case of Georgia, they do. Oh, in the case of Georgia, yes, they do. Georgia law, grand jury members' names are made public, which is really odd, especially if you're doing a RICO charge, which is usually brought against mafia. Yeah. It takes some courage to go ahead and and be on a grand jury like that because your name, in Georgia anyway, it's not true in many other states, but in Georgia, those names are public. I should have said they're not as well known as an attorney general would be. Those that are doing wrong, there are suits brought to impeach them. But there are also folks that are doing right that are under or facing impeachment as well because they are going against what the Republicans are looking to have happen. And that is showing a misuse of a procedure that should be used to protect us. In the previous examples you gave, you gave one in Georgia with District Attorney Fannie Willis that is not going to go anywhere. The judge in Wisconsin, the Republicans there are really mad that she won because she is an out-and-out liberal and flipped that Supreme Court towards a liberal bent as opposed to the conservative bent that it's had in the past decades. In the case of Texas, though, the attorney general of the state, Paxton, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he deserves to be impeached. He deserves, without a question. You hear what he's been doing. This guy, this guy, I think, has been under investigation for years. Yeah. One of the most corrupt state officials you will yes. ever encounter, even yes. such that, boy, diehard Republicans in Texas. And if you're a Texas Republican, that's about as Republican as you can get. Don't like him. Yes. They're the ones that brought the impeachment against him. Yes, I appreciate <laughs> them for that. <laughs> So that's certainly an interesting one to watch. But you're right. Impeachment is often used as a weapon. In the case of Donald Trump, many of Trump supporters says that it was used as a weapon against him. But dang it, look at what he did. Look at what he's... And And, and when you look at the fact that the U.S. Senate, despite all of the very hardcore evidence that the guy abused his power while in office... While in office. While in office. And and still said, yeah, not enough for impeachment. Just shows you that partisanship has gone past reasonability. Key Senate Democrats say they will preserve funding for gun violence research. There are a few Senate Democrats out there who are confident that they can preserve funding for gun violence research. House Republicans, not surprisingly, have proposed a government spending bill that eliminates funding that is aimed at better understanding the cause and impacts of gun violence, which kills tens of thousands of Americans each year. Don't you think that if something is killing tens of thousands of Americans every year, you might want to research it? No. No, I don't. Because they're too busy <laughs> trying to pass abortion bills. Yeah, maybe. But they're, they're putting a lot of effort behind this uh, endeavor as well. You see, states have received federal funding throughout the years to explore gun violence, capturing real-time data from emergency rooms. And in fact, just this year, a study out of UC Davis found that mass and active shooters in California have distinct gun purchasing patterns. Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had some data and algorithms that are giving you a high probability that Bob or Jane out there is likely to commit a mass shooting based upon research scientific patterns that humans just couldn't detect on their own? That would be awesome. Who would argue against that? Well, Republicans would. They will. South Carolina has the 11th highest death rate by guns in the nation. What number do you think we are in terms of number of mass shootings? Uh, Let's go with... I think we should go like, I'm going low, 49, 38, 38. You mean we're 38th in the nation? Yeah. So relatively low number yeah, of mass shootings. Yeah, I think shootings. so. We are number five oh. in the nation. How do they do that? Per, per capita or something? Like how, how do we get to number five? We are number five in terms of mass shootings, which involve multiple individuals being shot in the same incident. Oh, my God. So we have a problem here, and it's these types of facts that Republicans just want to suppress. Mississippi is number one when it comes to death rate by guns, followed by Louisiana, New Mexico, Alabama. And then we are at number 11, just below Tennessee. So they always talk about Democratic cities as being the center of violence. And look at these Democratic-run cities, and people are dying left and right. Yet... The numbers, the facts, the research shows that the rates are much higher in these red, primarily southern states. And they just don't want you to know that. Wow. Keeping people ignorant is part of the grand plan. Because if you knew, maybe you would choose something different, right? Yeah, yeah. I read this bill and I wrote, 
Am I the only one that realizes the trend? There's only one group that doesn't need training to advance, acquire, or accumulate anything. There's only one group that can do this, and in their mind, they do it right, and everyone else has Let to guess, the line. Let me guess, is it cutting hair? No. Is it doing nails? No. Is it painting a house? No. All of those require training and licensing to be All able of those to do, do that. All of those do. Then? But the only group of people that doesn't require it, white men, in the House and the Senate, they the only ones who feel like no, they don't need training. They don't need training, training to, for what? To, to actually own a weapon. Like the weapon, you can just, this is not gun smoke days, right? You just grab your weapon and go. Who is against training and educating a gun owner how to appropriately use that gun? That's weird. Are you against people owning guns? I am not. Neither am I. I'm not against it. But Are I'm, you against somebody being able to walk into a Walmart with 50 bucks in hand, buying a gun and ammo, and then walking out, no yes. checks, no anything? Yes, I'm, I'm against okay. that. I'm against that like no other. And I'm a gun owner. And I have actually done the classes to ensure that I know exactly how to use the weapon. And, and I was trained by a wonderful person. But this person in the training took the time to point out that your weapon can be a friend or a foe. And your weapon is not necessarily the first go-to to resolve any issue. That should be your last strategy, your last attempt. To hear our legislators that are currently representing us believe and support anything that could potentially say no training is needed, I don't know if they are in the right spot. This is the same state and governor that patted himself on the back just recently because they finally passed uh, requirements for boaters to receive mandatory training to operate a boat. I don't want to hear another person, representative or, or member of the Senate, say to me that they are saving lives. You have, you don't care about saving lives. You are not pro-life. <laughs> place you gotta go i'm the one you need to know i'm the map i'm the map i'm the map if there's a place you gotta get i can get you there i bet i'm the map i'm the map i'm the map so our main topic today is about redistricting try to unpack this issue that can be very complicated but there is some simplicity to it. So hopefully at the end of our conversation, we will start individuals to watching and get some people engaged. So let's talk about, for the uninitiated, okay. what redistricting is. So redistricting, let me give you an example. Let's just say that you've always gone to the same polling location and you've always voted for individuals in a particular particular district. So let's just say you always, you've lived in the same house and you've always been able to vote for the representative in 13. And so the election year comes up, you didn't check your SC vote. So you don't know that your district has changed and you go to vote and the person you're looking for, their name isn't on the ballot. So why has the district changed? Because someone went, when you weren't looking, into a room at the state house and drew new lines well, that moved I, I, you. I'm going to back up a bit here because it's not, they did not invent redistricting for purely nefarious purposes. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Every 10 years, the entire country goes through a new census. So they do a population count and try to figure Correct. out where people live. And in any area, people move in, people move out, populations change. And you want to try to rebalance your representation to reflect those changes. That's the ideal. 
you know, in, in certain districts, maybe they lost thousands of people and in another district, they gained thousands more. Maybe it makes sense to redraw the line so that the populations are balanced a little more evenly. Now, that's the that's the correct way that that should work. That sounds real good when you say that. <laughs> Put me in charge then. Okay. I'll make sure I, it happens I that way. I would recommend that. But what is happening is not necessarily that at all times. You will see, and I'm going to give you two references that show that the lines can be unfairly drawn. Having the census run and you are able to count how many citizens are in your area, that makes great sense. Plug for the census. When people knock on your door and ask you to take the census, take the dang blang census. Because we can't bring resources and services to your area if we don't know you're here. Listen, I'm um, going to be creating a T-shirt for our podcast called the Dang Blang. Um, can I'm we trademark that, that phrase? Let's try that's a, it. That's a catchphrase. <laughs> Everything's Dang Blang. I, I got more. Um, <laughs> so take the census and stop running from individuals who are coming to you saying, hey, how many people live here? That go, That information is used to draw these lines. And if the lines are drawn against your favor... You lose the power in your vote. Your vote gets diluted. So in our conversation, we're going to talk about some of the impacts, the negative impacts of redistricting. That's interesting. And you brought up a point early on that this redistricting happens behind closed doors and is not made out in the public. I I will state a little bit to the contrary in okay. that during the last redistricting, which was just two years ago after the 2020 census, both the House and the Senate of South Carolina had traveling committees that had public hearings. Okay. And I actually had an opportunity to speak at both the Senate redistricting, it was held up in Greenville, and a House redistricting committee that was held right there at Piedmont. The panelists were all legislators who were part of subcommittees to do the do the redistricting okay. and everybody gets to have their say. Mm-hmm. Now, what I find probably most frustrating about the whole political process is that you can talk until your eyeballs fall out. Thank you. Doesn't mean they have to listen to you. Correct. And I also will drop this other bomb on you. South Carolina is the only state in the country mm-hmm. that has zero laws on the books that govern the redistricting process. I don't there know is, if I'm, I'm not shocked. There is a guideline they follow. There are best practices they follow. They do make an effort to make it public with these traveling committees. But if they decided they didn't want to, if they decided to just go behind those locked doors, there is no law that tells us what we have to so do. So let me ask you about the traveling committees, because I never, let's just say I missed every committee that would have remotely come near me. Let's just say that happened. Is the map drawn before you come to the traveling committee? The suggested map has been drawn? There are actually multiple maps that have been drawn. And those are presented. They are. So there's both what the House, the House may have three different proposals. The Senate may have a proposal. They take others from the League of Women Voters, from some other consultants or agencies or interested parties. There's a hundred maps. And truly, unless you're a map dude, it can be overwhelming. Uh-huh. I'm a map dude. I love maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, can see you getting excited. But but they do have websites. They publish the proposals. And it's really hard to follow unless you are totally into the process. Even though all of that is occurring, how many people have actually attended any meeting that informed them that the maps have been redrawn? I work the polls here in Greenwood, and I love it. The number of people that come through the door that didn't check SC vote And then they learn that whoever they're looking for on the ballot is no longer there because they are now in a different district is alarming. When I allude to it's happening behind 
closed doors. The maps are drawn before they hit the public eye. They hit the public eye, then there's there's a discussion that only includes the individuals who understand what is happening. And you're absolutely right when you say that. You really don't know what happened until after the maps are in effect. So behind closed doors means that you have representatives that sit for you in the House and the Senate that know the maps are being redrawn. How is that publicized to the constituents to let them know that you've got a, there's a hearing coming. You might need to be on the lookout for it because there are going to be some changes that impact who you are able to vote for. Oh, I will say that even the hearing that was held in Greenwood was attended by about a dozen people. It wasn't like it was a packed house in this big conference hall that it was held in. I want to give a very specific story about gerrymandering here in Greenwood. Okay, let's go. I want to talk about... Wait, wait, explain gerrymandering because I never pulled that term. Oh. So gerrymandering is the manipulation of an electoral constituency's boundaries, the drawing of the lines. So we're talking about a conscious manipulation of lines to favor one party or class. Yes. So it's tough to scream gerrymandering at everything. But you have to find specific examples of it. Okay. So let me give you an example and ask you if you think this qualifies as intentional line drawing to receive a wanted outcome. Okay. This talks about House District 12. District 12 was represented by Ann Parks for a long time, and she served those constituents faithfully. The majority of voters in District 12 belong to Greenwood County, primarily within the city limits, Then it stretches out to all of McCormick County. Now, McCormick County is 90% farmland, so it's a a more rural population. Uh, But there are about 40, 43% of the voters, and the rest are here in Greenwood, mostly in the city. Okay. So there was a redistricting that happened um, after the 2020 election, and Parks lost in 2022 by 600 votes. So between those McCormick and Greenwood voters together— She lost by 600. Wow. So let's talk about what that district looked like before redistricting when she had won and what it looked like after redistricting and then she lost. Mm. What changed in this district? Mm. Well, there are many things you can look at by age or class or what have you, and I'm going to stick with race. Okay. Representative Parks was a, a, you know, is a black female. Yes. And the black population is important. So... When you look at what the district looked like before redistricting, voting age residents, so we're not even talking registered voters. We're just talking voting age. Okay. There were 13,200 black voters of voting age. There were 11,700 white residents of voting age. Okay. So heavy on the black population, 13,200 to to 11,700. Got it. Once redistricting was done, There were 14,100 black residents of voting age and 14,800 white residents of voting age. It was a gain of 850 black residents and a gain of 3,127 white residents. So the population shifted heavily into the white voting areas. Yeah. Let, Let me just say this, make this clear. Just because you're a black voter does not mean you're going to vote for the black representative and likewise with the white voter. Everybody's got a free mind and can vote for whomever they feel is best represents them. But we know from statistics that there's a heavy correlation between race and the individual that you're voting for. Okay. Remember, I opened up with the fact that she lost by only 600 votes. Correct. 
there was a swing of 2,500 voters in the direction of white population. (laughs) Without anybody doing a lot of work, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that perhaps these lines were drawn in such a way as to give the white representative who unseated Anne the advantage in that race. Now, I'll also throw in one caveat, another another fact. Only three out of four adults in South Carolina are registered to vote. Only three out of four. And of those who are registered to vote, only one out of two showed up to vote in the 2022 election. That's a really low turnout. That means each voter made the decision for almost two other people. So you can talk lines and boundaries and all that stuff to shift things in favor. But at the end of the day, when only 33% of your people who could be voting are voting, I see a bigger concern. I have to agree with that. Um, I, I think Councilwoman Bishop said it today. You know, it's sad that we're at this point, but it is as if people has lost belief in that system, the voting system. And I think that that has led to this. Um, do I think that the lines had an impact? I think that there were several contributing factors. I'm not sure that I would say the lines were 100%, but that is a huge number to increase in terms of the ratio from the number of black voters that increased versus the number of white voters. So that does um, have you lean toward, uh, we could have drew that a little differently to make it an equal playing field. Did you know that there is a gerrymandering case that's going to be coming to the Supreme Court in October based in South Carolina? I did. There are two congressional districts, District 1, Mm -hmm. which has lovely Representative Nancy Mace, and then District 6, which is represented by the long-distinguished service of James Clyburn. Yes. In this last redistricting before the 2022 election, did you know that 62% of the black voters in Charleston County were moved out of District 1, Nancy Mace, and into District 6, Jim Clyburn. I did. Now, Jim Clyburn was going to win his district with or without all that additional black voters. With or without, it was his, yeah. Then Nancy Mace's district, having removed so many black voters, found herself in a very comfortable red district where a lot of the voters who would have voted for her opponent, Dr. Annie Andrews, were no longer part of that district. Do you mm. remember talking about showing up the vote and you're yeah. no longer where you thought you were? Yeah. Well, that reeked of racial gerrymandering, which is against the law. Mm. And this case, has, uh, a lawsuit has been filed by the NAACP and others. A federal panel of judges found South Carolina lawmakers guilty they did. of racial gerrymandering. And, of course, they didn't like that answer, so they kicked it up to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is not in the mood to hear from these gerrymanderers. I give you Exhibit A for Alabama. Oh, my. That is. Alabama. Said, nope, we're going to do it our way. Changed their districts and knocked out a black rep- a congressperson. And that went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled Alabama, you had a line. Go back and draw the line. And Alabama said no. Alabama gave the Supreme Court the middle finger. They did. They said, nope, we're not doing anything. I'm sorry. Alabama gave the Supreme Court the dang-blang middle (laughs) finger. (laughs) They did. And the Supreme Court saw these new lines that were just as bad as the lines that they told them to go redraw. And now the Supreme Court has said, we're taking away your right to draw the lines, and we're going to appoint a special master to go in and draw your lines for you. Yeah. 
So when South Carolina's turn comes up and they see some of these numbers that I just shared with you about Districts 1 and 6, I'm pretty sure I know what the result's going to be. Mm. Now, remember that District 1 that Nancy Mace was in. Yes. The person who had that district, who had represented that district prior to her, was Democrat Joe Cunningham. Yes. So this was a flippable congressional district. Yeah. South Carolina Republican lawmakers said, yeah, we can't afford to have that happen again. That's what they said. Decided to kick all the black voters into Jim Clyburn's district. Said. And now Nancy has a comfortable red district, and that may have to get changed again before the next congressional election. You mentioned something that I think is important for us to recognize. Sometimes when you draw the line, you put two people who may have been Democratic candidates against each other. That's right. If you're looking at how, you know, the House took a hit. They did some drawing of some lines that caused really good, strong candidates to go against each other, and only one of them could be seated. So when we're looking at drawing these lines, why it's so important is if we say, hey, we need more people, diverse people to run, and we have them running— and they are winning, and then there is a drawing of the lines meeting that has the districts joined, we've just eliminated one potential seat. Now, I shared with you that South Carolina was the only state in the country that had no laws that governed redistricting. Okay. And it's not from lack of trying. Okay. So in previous years, Gilda Cobb-Hunter yes. and others in the House of Representatives, Senator Mike Fanning and others in the Senate, submitted bills to enact some sort of independent commission to take it out of lawmakers' hands and make it a little more fair and balanced. Because redistricting is not just a Republican thing. It you go not. up to some of the blue states and you've got Democrats there that are trying to draw lines to their advantage too. So it's good to have laws that govern these rules and make it more independent and fair. Currently, we have a proposal that has been submitted from Representative Penn Darvis uh, this is House Bill 4222. This is called the Anti-Gerrymandering Act. And in it are some very common sense things like creating an independent commission. This independent commission must be comprised of 12 members appointed by the State Ethics Commission. Five must be majority party voters. Five must be voters of the largest minority political party. Two must be members of other political parties. All decisions by the commission must be determined by majority vote. Does that not sound fair and balanced when it comes to an independent commission? I mean, I think I like it, but we sensible. <laughs> Everybody isn't. Well, I guess even that is a matter of opinion. <laughs> True. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. Yes. If you too are a blue dot in a red sea, keep up the fight, keep up the faith. Progress is not won in a day, but rather over a lifetime of struggle and focus. We benefit today from the efforts of those who fought decades ago, and we owe it to them we do. to pay it forward. We do. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023. All rights reserved.